Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you guys for joining me again today. Uh, with me, as always, we got Jim in the background. Jim, how you doing, sir? I am doing great. It is a very lazy Saturday, and this is all I had on my agenda. So uh, I'm tanned, rested, and ready, and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation a lot. Absolutely. And like always, I want to tell you guys, if you want to get in touch with either Jim or myself, you can reach us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Feel Your Fandom, or you could find us on our Buzzsprout page, feelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. Uh, that'll send you out to all the different links to where we're located and we can be heard and streamed and, and downloaded and spread to the wide winds, uh, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple, Google, Breaker, blah, 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 blah. There's about Wherever you get your so. podcasts, as the kids say. There you go. Wherever you get your podcasts. But that's where you can find us. Uh, of course, we want you to send us comments. If there's something that we've talked about that you want to uh, chip in with or add into, definitely send us uh, a message on Facebook or you can send us an email. Uh, the email address is feelyourfandom at gmail.com. Today, uh, we are going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to many a geek's heart. Uh, if you've ever gone to a movie premiere or a convention or anything having to do with pop culture fandom, you've likely seen people dressed up in costumes and and really kind of bringing you into the moment and taking you uh, into these characters that you love. And, and, and so cosplay has always been a very huge thing uh, to the geek community, to my community, to, to me in general. Uh, I have attended a few conventions uh, wearing uh, really shitty cosplay. Like I'll, I'll wear like a, an eBay, an eBay store-bought uh, Star Trek uniform or a, uh, a costume shop had me a Jedi robe at one point and, you know, I'll carry on a lightsaber and pretend I'm a Jedi, but uh, that is all so minor compared to the work of our special guest today. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce our cosplay hero, Paul Haga. Paul, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm great, Saint. Good to meet you. Oh, it's fantastic. And hey, Jim. You. How's it going, Paul? Now, I, I feel like I should preface this a little bit because uh, we, we, we find guests for this uh, podcast through various uh, and sundry means, but... Paul and I go back a ways. Um, we both at one point lived in the Twin Cities, and we were in a couple of bands that shared members. And um, so we hooked up on Facebook. Not hooked up, but you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> we got together on Facebook. See, that even sounds worse. Pulp. We pulp, right? And I immediately was struck by the fact that uh, in addition to being an absolutely killer musician, Paul has a whole lot of other uh, fantastic interests, and among them was cosplay. And like Saint was mentioning earlier, you can do off-the-shelf stuff, and that's fine. You can put together stuff on your own, and nobody's going to look down at you. It's a very inclusive community. But Paul really takes it to an entirely different level. I think the first couple of things I noticed um, were, were your Star Wars costumes, and then there were some other, like, we'll talk about all. I, I'd rather, I'm not going to tell your story. I want you to tell your story. <laughs> but nevertheless, I mean, I, I immediately noticed that you were just absolutely killer at putting costumes together. So, you know, that's what we wanted to talk about today. And I guess we could start by just opening the floor and letting you uh, kind of share whatever you feel like is important for us to know about you and um, let everybody know kind of where you come from with uh, with all kinds of things, but, you know, the cosplay thing in particular. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, the 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 costuming bug has always has always been in my system that 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 interest has always been going on from, you know, the mid to late 80s. Um, 
trying to fashion a proton pack out of cardboard, you know, and running <laughs> around my house. Uh, or I, I, I distinctly remember uh, ha- seeing um, uh, the 1989 Batman, uh, Michael Keaton Batman in the theater. Um, it, it will it will always um, just be that like moment for me. And then coming home and like looking around the house, like what, what can, I need to make this suit. I, I have to, you know, like, taking a piece of, you know, fabric and trying to fashion a cape and some foam sticking it, you know, to a shirt to try to mimic the, the, the muscle muscular like bodysuit. And, um, and I, I'll, I'll probably mention this later, but like that, literally that movie like fueled a, a 30 year, um, like ear, you know, earworm or, or brainworm for me to like build the bat suit to build. And it wasn't the, the 1989 bat suit for me. It was the 1992, just that like sleek art deco, um, Gothic, you know, it, it wasn't a muscle suit. It was something different. It was like mm-hmm. armor. And, uh, and that's always, um, always just like, you know, been burned into my brain, but from an early age, I, I had interest in like trying to build stuff. And when I was, when I was in high school, uh, a little background on me, my, my parents are both from the twin cities, but my dad got really tired of living in the twin cities in the late seventies, early eighties. So he bought a farm in Southwestern Minnesota. And so I, I grew up on a farm, um, uh, 350 acre cattle ranch, uh, in the middle of nowhere in Southwest, Southwestern Minnesota in the eighties. So you can imagine how disconnected from everything I probably was at that time compared to how we are today. And, uh, you know, watching star Wars on VHS recorded off the television, you know, uh, star Trek, you know, the motion picture on VHS with, with commercials, you know, Pillsbury and all the terrible commercials. Um, and, and, I wanted to actually become a, uh, I wanted to work at ILM. I wanted to like make models and do creature effects and things like that. That was the the thing that when the guidance counselor at my high school asked me what I wanted to do with my life, it was, I, t- I told him that and he just laughed at me. He's like, kid, I, I have no idea what to tell you or how, like what direction to point you in. And, and then I told my parents and my dad's like, why don't you just go to college and like, <laughs> just get a business degree. That, that's all. Just get that. And then you can figure the rest out. And it's ultimately what I did. So I wouldn't say I shelved a dream uh, at that point, but it always had been kind of burning in, in, in the back of my brain uh, uh, from, from early age, really. Yeah, yeah. Anybody that's seen the work you've done, and I'm, I'm hoping we can get some pictures to put up on the website at some point. With, with, yeah, we'll throw some up not, on the Instagram for sure. Yeah, there's, there's no shelving of the dream there because, I mean... It, it, looking at the stuff you've done um like i've seen your bat suit and there are you know cosplay outfits and then there are like movie quality cosplay outfits and the fact that you're not that that you're working you know with your own two hands to make these things and you're not like cheating and 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 in most cases like stealing props from like movie houses the stuff that you come up with is (laughs) i like how he says in most cases well in most cases i want to talk a little later about the um the the uh the jetpack from the it's an interesting story the jetpack from the uh the rocketeer which we talked oh, yeah. a little bit yep. about like previous to this but yep. we'll, we'll get to that in a minute but just looking at like the costumes you put together um you know if, if i didn't know it was you in there especially in some of the ones that like where i can't tell that it's you uh underneath like a mask or a, like a cowl in the case of the bat suit it looks like production stills from these movies i cannot emphasize enough how 
Hollywood quality, the stuff that you do is, and it just blows yeah. me out of the water every time you see it. Cause it's not even like it's one or two things. I mean, everything you do brings that incredibly professional screen ready touch to, to, um, to a, a field of, of geekery that a lot of people really have that <laughs> and you really don't. Yeah. yeah um, and, and, and that's well, one of the things that Jim, uh, Jim was con, uh, we were talking back and forth and, uh, uh, Jim was telling me that he had someone about cosplay and, and I told him, yeah, of course, I've been wanting to talk to someone for a while. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Let me show you some of his work. And so he starts sending me pictures of some of the stuff that you've done and uh, the videos uh, you sent the videos for uh, uh, in particular, uh, one of my huge fandoms is Ghostbusters. And oh, yeah, uh, yep. you sent the video of the ghost trap uh, that you designed. First of all, yeah. the first one was, excuse me, the first one was uh, the, proton the proton pack time. overheating. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and and I was, I mean, I watched that like four times and I showed my wife, I'm like, look at how badass this is. And then you sent the video of the ghost trap and I was just floored. It was uh, the, like Jim says, the quality in a, of the workmanship just shines through. And it's so, there's such an attention to detail and such an eye for, yep. for, for just perfection on those. And, and that's something that is such a super geeky thing. And I just, I love it. I love everything I've seen so far. So. so when you decide to make a prop or a costume or you decide to emulate a character, obviously it first starts with being a fan of the property. But when you decide, yep. like, I'm going to make myself a, a Hollywood quality dread costume, what is your process from start to finish? Where is your, your, your square one between coming up with the idea and then actually having the finished costume you could wear at a con or an appearance? Well, so, so dread's actually an interesting one only because dread was – for me, Dread was probably the first absolutely serious costume that, that like, mm. I, I had my Batman suit that was always, like, in flux, and I was always kind of working on it. But a buddy of mine, his name's Derek, long longtime friends, um, he and I both have just this huge affinity for Dread. Saw it in the theater together, and we're just blown away by it. And, uh, it, yeah, and... And, and there was an announcement um, in the Twin Cities that Wizard World uh, was coming and Carl Urban was coming uh, to Carl Wizard World. Urban, right? And so I'm just like, Jesus, this would be cool to, like, to meet Carl. And, and so we're, we, uh, another thing about me this is probably equally geeky. I, I used to bowl all the time. So my buddy Derek and I, we were on a bowling team together. So we're sitting at the bowling alley and we're just like, God, wouldn't it be cool to like build a dread costume, but not just a dread costume, like a dread costume that looks like it walked off the screen. Yeah. And, and so that started, I'm not kidding. It was probably a six month process. Um, tracking down, um, there there's there's things that i that i will absolutely take credit for as we talk about these costumes uh in in making from scratch but there are so many gifted makers out there that uh that can make a certain thing and they're making it like screen quality um i'm not going to necessarily toil in my basement or garage to like try to make that thing if there's somebody that i can pay uh and support uh to to, right. to make that thing and they're like a, an artisan and so like the Batman cowls, like at first, you know, it was sort of junior grade stuff. And then I, I worked my way into the finding the makers that actually had the screen used molds and were casting, you know, cowls that, that, that had lineage to what was worn in yeah. 1992 or 1989. And those aren't cheap, but once you put it on 
and it you, adds and you such kinda, a provenance you, to the outfit. Yeah, and you kind of look like Michael Keaton once you put it on. You're just like, okay, I, you know, that was worth the money. You got to um, turn your whole so, body instead of your neck. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, you do. It's you're you're like locked in. But so so he and I started um, spitballing about about this dread costume, and uh, and we found a company uh, in Pakistan or like some some place, you know, not in the U.S. Uh, that that we started working with. Um, to make the uh, to make the pads uh, like the the, uh, uh, the armor pieces mm-hmm. uh, and and then we found uh, another company that made the the, the leather motorcycle suits because I'm you know I can I can do a lot with leather and we'll probably talk about my my uh, prop shop uh, at oh, some point but um, but I'm I don't have the capacity to make uh, a leather jacket and uh, and pants and so. We found all those things uh, that actually got me into buying uh, a couple of 3D printers to like start 3D printing stuff like badges and and uh, and the belt little belt greeblies and gear that he has like to help work his way up to the top of the uh, of the peach trees complex. Um, so anyway, about a six month process sourcing all these parts, making some parts, assembling everything together, uh, and. And walking into Wizard World as two street judges uh, when Carl Urban was there and having everybody just stop in their tracks, it was a really, um, like, killer moment uh, for us. Just, like, you know, people were just silent because they didn't, they didn't know whether or not we were real. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and so, like, that, that little dopamine hit, like you know, lasted for a while. And, and it's, that was, that was like the, the, uh, the, the thing that kicked off, like, okay, if I'm going to do a costume, I'm going to do it to the nines. And, uh, and, and it's going to be something that is memorable to people. Uh, And, and, you know, that's going to, you know, it, and it was, it was great. Like we got our pictures with Carl and standing there next to him. And he's like, Jesus guys, where did you get these suits? (laughs) Like he, he's lo- he, like he's looking us up and down, and trying to find uh, gaps in the armor and look for uh, right any, any discrepancies and, between what he knew he wore. And I made him, I made him a badge, uh, like I three D nice. printed and finished and made him a little badge that said Urban, and I gave it to him, and he was like, oh, that's you know, like he was taken aback. So like I was trying to, you know, uh, just pay pay a little respect to the guy that inspired me to build uh, to build that that costume that he wore so great so well that's really really neat and and i've always wondered about carl urban whether or not he was really approachable and that's just that's fun to know because i've always really enjoyed the work that he does he really loses himself into these roles and uh, yeah i just i enjoy carl in particular was just huge in the geek community because i mean it seems like you know obviously most actors can't necessarily choose the roles they take if you get to the status of a carl urban you probably have a lot more say about it than most people but you know, from playing uh, Bones in, in in the Trek movies, and and then yep. getting to do Judge Dredd, and then being able to like the boys was fantastic. I mean, he definitely used oh, more oh, towards towards I love the boys type projects, and and so I've always kind of loved that about him because he's got like the uh, the leading man looks and the chiseled jaw and the and the you know the yep. gravelly voice, but he he definitely pays a lot of fan service to certain communities, and I've always appreciated that about him. 
Well, and he even and he took looked, that role in in uh, Thor, uh, uh, Ragnarok, yeah. mm-hmm. where he yep. played the executioner, and that was fantastic too. Because if you look at him, it doesn't really look like him. I mean, he right. he sinks himself so deeply into these roles, and then and then you hear him talking, you're like, ah, okay, Carl I got Urban. you. It's Carl Urban, right? And he's 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 almost a chameleon of sorts because yeah. you know he 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 came up through um, like Xena, Warrior Princess, and Hercules and stuff in the '90s. Mm-hmm. and uh, and then i think he was almost he ha- he had kind of a harrison ford like you know he rose a little bit and then he fell and uh, and then somebody got him to go audition for uh lord of the rings and he, he that's when he had his like second coming and he's been riding that uh that train ever since and he's had he's had a you know a, a good you know, I think a good run the boys is probably one of the most memorable uh versions of carl just I because i think love he, it. I think he gets to be himself <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> yeah. a little bit more than than other roles. God, he I certainly hope not. gets. <laughs> he, he certainly gets to use his own accent instead of like trying to, you know, uh, be an American. But one other qu- quick thing about Carl, uh, since I know the podcast probably isn't the Carl Urban Appreciation Podcast, but it fucking um, could be. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> the first segment. Um, at these cons and i've 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 been to a few of them that he's been at um he'll he'll get up there like unscripted for an hour hour and a half and just take questions like he doesn't when he does a panel it's just it's just all right you know set up the mics q a uh just ask me ask me stuff and he just talks um brilliant and tells stories uh he he i think i think the the lasting thing about him that really sticks with me he doesn't have an he doesn't have enough ego that he's that he's unwilling to um to completely sacrifice a character like judge dread by taking his helmet off he he went into that production saying i want to play this character and i'm going to play this character right you're never going to see my face you're going to see my name on a on a poster you're going to know it's me based on this part of my face, but you're never going to see me take the helmet off like Stallone did in 95. Yeah, Stallone, damn. That is commitment. And, and see, and I, I love to hear the, the stories of people getting to meet the people that they're emulating or dressing as. Uh, I, I distinctly remember, like I said, I, I've done some off-the-shelf costumes, and I actually had a tailor shop create me a Jedi robe from scratch. And, nice. And so I got it all put together, and I went to a convention because I knew Jeremy Bullock was going to be there. And so uh, I wait through the line and, and, and this is, this is like 20 years ago, something like that. It was a long ass time ago, but uh, this is before uh, Phantom Menace and before all the prequels came out. So uh, as I'm getting up in the line, uh, he just kind of eyeballs me. He sees me carrying the Boba Fett helmet because I wanted to get it signed. And uh, he eyes me and he goes, you Jedi. And and he's like, nah, come over here. I'll sign your shit. And uh, so he actually pulls me behind the table with him so we could talk for a few minutes while he's signing other people's autographs. And it was a really surreal moment because then he, he's talking about like, uh, well, we were talking about the Phantom Menace getting ready to come out and, and how they were casting for it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm hoping that if they bring uh, uh, any kind of Boba Fett character into these prequels that it can be my son because i'm a little old to play him now but i would love to have my son take the reins and of course we all know that didn't happen to Mora morris and taking the the position right but uh, it was really uh kind of a unique situation where i got to sit and just kind of chat with with uh with the guy who played boba fett and that was really super cool for me so i like to see that uh 
the, uh, the, the stars that are, are really approachable and really kind mm -hmm. of into hanging with their fans. It's really cool to hear. So, and I'm yeah, glad yep. Carl Urban falls into that category for sure. Um, what uh, we talked about Batman being kind of your first entry into the, yeah. the idea of cosplay. Um, there are a lot of prop communities out there, uh, prop building communities and cosplay communities. And, and I, I distinctly remember Jim mentioning that you uh, were a member of the 501st Stormtrooper Legion. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. How did you uh, get involved with that? If I don't, if you don't mind answering. So uh, that one was, um, was, was interesting as well. So the year after I built the dread costume, I, uh, I saw um, the teaser trailer for star Wars, the force awakens. And, uh, and that started a fascination with Kylo Ren. Uh, and, that same year that trailer came out, uh, they had the actual screen use costumes at, uh, at celebration in Anaheim, uh, the star Wars celebration, uh, con uh, convention. Right. And, and so a few people got in there and took these incredibly detailed pictures of, of this costume. At that point, I still wasn't thinking 501st. So I was thinking I'm going to make the Kylo Ren costume, uh, it, because it's, it's, it, it, it feels as iconic as, as Darth Vader potentially. It and it like, now, yeah. you know, and, and it just, it, it had, it was menacing. Uh, it had all these layers of fabrics and hooded, you know, figure and a really cool lightsaber and whatever. And so I've always been a star Wars fan, but I was really, um, um, take like taken with the, with the, the, the reboot of the sequel trilogy, I guess. Um, and, so I started putting that costume together and like, this was basically one year after, uh, you know, wearing that dread costume. I went back to the same wizard world and I was walking around. I went by myself, <laughs> um, walking around in Kylo Ren and I walked past the 501st table or booth, right? They're all, uh, there's artist alley and there's all sorts of stuff, but there's a 501st booth. They, they basically came falling over the table at me. <laughs> and, and they're like, they're like, are you in the Legion? And I'm like, what do you mean? I, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. You need to be in the Legion. And one guy pulled me aside, literally put me up against the wall and like started taking pictures of me, you know, from all <laughs> angles. And he's like, here's what you do. You like wrote it down. Here's this, go, go onto this website. Um, you, you need to like apply and then you need to send these pictures in. He texted me these photos, um, that he took and, and I'm talking to these people. I'm like, well, this is really cool. Like, and, and they were wearing, you know, amazing costumes too. And yeah, they're, they're, um, their outfits are always really, really sharp. Right. And, I mean, and so listening, who doesn't know this, the 501st has incredibly stringent standards for the types of costumes they'll accept for their members and for their crafters. And it's, it's an application process. Like Paul just said, you actually have to, yeah. you have to submit work to them. So for them to have stopped you and solicited you to kind of be in just based on the strength of how well you put this costume together, that's, that's a pretty big that's deal. That's impressive. And people need to understand yeah. that. Yeah. And that's, I, I, I was, I was, I was really, um, I guess in the moment flattered by it, but, but I was also, you know, as I was looking at, at the people I was chatting with and, and, and just briefly getting to know them, I'm like, you know, this organization seems really cool. You know, what yeah. they're talking about, just reading through the good works that they do, the charitable works that they mm -hmm. do. And, and so I submitted um, that afternoon or e evening when I got home. 
Um, and within like two or three days I was approved and I was like, I went from kind of not caring about the 501st to being a 501st member. And, uh, and I've, that was in 2016. Um, and I'm trying to think, uh, so I've been a, a member for about five, uh, four or five years. And, um, and now I've advanced to the point just in my, uh, in my participation in the Legion where I'm, uh, I'm now a garrison member liaison, uh, GML, they call us mm -hmm. where I'm the, I'm one of three people in, uh, Minnesota, uh, Iowa, Nebraska, and the Dakotas that, um, that the costume submissions come to and I review and uh, scrutinize and approve. So, Very so cool. I've, I've taken a role um, or was, was appointed into a role uh, like leadership role in the 501st to help, to help, you know, build out the costume ranks uh, a little bit more so. And that, that love for star Wars isn't necessarily just dark side. Um, I've gotten involved with the rebel legion, which is the light side of, of the equation um, where, you know, you have Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Leia and, uh, and rebel fleet troopers and uh, Admiral Akbar and Chewbacca. And like, there's all these other, you know, costumes of the good guys versus the ranks of, um, of, of stormtroopers and Darth Vader and Kylo Ren and stuff. So uh, it's up until this year, which I think, you know, uh, has has unfortunately gutted a lot of the charitable community in doing these these types of works. Um, it was an incredible, uh, incredibly fun uh, organization to be part of. Just every weekend there was something different happening. You know, uh, uh, a cancer walk or uh, a children's hospital event or a movie premiere or something where you could get suited up. And you know, maybe this week I'm Kylo Ren, and maybe next week I'm. Uh, Jack Porkins uh, in a in a re uh, rebel uh, pilot costume. See, I always wanted to be a part of that 501st, but again, I always I'm, I'm a little bit big for a stormtrooper, so I always kind of felt like I'd be relegated to the Porkins role. But uh, uh, and, well, if you can if you can see it, I have my helmets behind me here. I can. Uh, Jack is right there. I have my there's Biggs, uh, my Y wing, and my Porkins, and then I have my Luke Red Five. So that's um, so damn cool. So I, I have, I have, uh, I think on the rebel legion side, like 10 approved costumes, most of them are pilots. Um, because once you get the orange flight suit, you can, right. Right. It's, it's just variations on a theme. I, I just, all you have to do is just get a different helmet and shave, you know, Biggs has kind of the seventies <laughs> porn stash, you know, Porkins is the only one that can sport a beard. So whenever I have a beard, I'll just grab my Porkins helmet. If I'm going to go, I think uh, I'm fucking Porkins guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to take a real short break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking costuming and cosplay with Paul Haga. Stick around. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking with cosplay master Paul Haga. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the charitable work and things that you do with the. Uh, the 501st Legion, uh, which is, for anyone who doesn't know, and shame on you if you don't, is uh, a cosplay community uh, geared and centered around uh, Star Wars cosplay. And uh, uh, good on you, because I, I always kind of liken them to, uh, like, you, you always see the motorcycle gangs, and, and they're doing their Toys for Tots runs, and they're doing their mm -hmm. charitable contributions, and, and their charitable works when they're 
not just being menacing on motorcycles and and so and that's kind of the thing that i've always kind of equated the 501st to is uh uh, they're always in the costume. They're always repping, but they're out doing like uh, photo opportunities with the kids. And yep. I distinctly remember up here at uh, Emerald City Comic Con, uh, taking my son when he was about eight or nine years old to his first Comic Con, and and walking by that 501st booth. And uh, there was this really cool, uh, like battle-worn uh, uh, scout trooper mm. uh, that looked like he had just run into a tree. It was fantastic. And uh, I was like, holy shit, I would love to be a scout trooper. That's so amazing. And my son was, of course, just thro thrown back by the detail on the costumes. And so that's really neat uh, that you have uh, uh, in, a, in a few short years become such a formative part of that community, which is really cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, they, they like to say uh, they're bad guys doing good. And uh, and it, it's interesting people love people love the bad guys you know i mean oh, yeah. you you can make all the connotations you want to what the stormtroopers are and what the empire is but um the little kids come come uh sprinting up to uh to get their picture with kylo ren and uh darth vader and a couple of stormtroopers and it just it's uh the the thing i love the most about it uh because for on the on the dark side, I'm always helmeted, right? So I, I you know, you're never going to see my face. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna see everything that's going on through the Kylo Ren helmet, but um, but nobody's going to see me smiling. Or you know, in the case of doing a uh, a charitable uh, a troop at the children's hospital, uh, sometimes it's not smiling. Sometimes it's uh, you you get a little broken up when yeah, you're, I when imagine you're, when you're seeing these kids but that that's the whole point of it to me it's it it's that you know you're just you're bringing joy to people um and and you're 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 helping to make their day uh whether you're walking through a parade or you're you know going and doing some stupid you know dance as kylo ren and star studios at the minnesota children's hospital or something whatever that might be um right you know but but usually um usually most of us don't break character. I think that's, that's the part that that's really fun is that you, you try to, you get into that character and like Kylo Ren for specifically the amount of weight in, in all of the layers of black fabrics and the helmet. And like, you're so sweaty and hot by the time you like zip your boots up that, uh, that you're already kind of angry and you can embody that character <laughs> And so, so you, you know, your, your walk starts to change. You, you start doing the angry walk and, um, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes kids are like, I, I had a kid come up to me at, at a movie premiere once while I was in Kylo and he's like, is it really, are you really Adam driver under there? You know, and he like, he's asking me and I'm, and I just shrugged at him and I had a, I have a voice changer. And so I said, you know, I'm like, who do you think I am? You know, like just, try to try to <laughs> try to play it up a little bit more and it's 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 that like interaction that you have uh that that just you know it's fun it it makes it, it worthwhile yeah yeah it does i think it's funny and 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 you mentioned all the layers with kylo ren and, and i was going to ask you about that specifically because uh I, I watch a lot of youtube i do a lot of youtube watching i don't have cable here so i get my entertainment um but uh i've always been a huge fan of uh Adam Savage, 
Oh, and uh, have you watched his videos? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And it what's it? I've been from from the early days of MythBusters. I've I've been this like kindred spirit with with Adam Savage, where you know it, I, I mentioned before as a kid I wanted to like move to Hollywood and like build model starships. You know for. Yeah, you Star wanted to Wars be you wanted Trek. to be Adam Savage. So so he he ultimately <laughs> became he's like this like spirit animal for for what <laughs> I wanted to be in life and and so I've probably I, I watched most every episode of MythBusters when it was on just knowing him and Jamie Heineman's background and then now with with his tested show um, you know seeing seeing all of these things and and it's funny my wife and I both follow him on Instagram and the other night she's just like you and Adam Savage like you just you 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 both you you you're both like in the same headspace most of the you time. Run, because you run a real parallel course. Yes, mm-hmm. he's because he's posting pictures about you know changing something on his Chewbacca costume, or you know he's he's building a Ghostbusters proton pack, or he has a Dread costume. He he <laughs> he has an he has a Kylo Ren costume. We have we have a lot of similarities, even well, yeah. though. That was yeah. one of the things I was going to ask you about is because watching Adam Savage, uh, well, his one of his things that he does on his uh, his tested channel, for anyone who's not seen that, I highly recommend it. It's absolutely riveting, uh, especially if you're into like prop making or, or the props community or, or cosplay community. But uh, he what he does is he'll go and uh, build these screen accurate costumes and then go to conventions and not announce that it's him. I mean, because he's got his own uh, uh, quasi celebrity due to Mythbusters fame. Uh, yep. But he likes to go to these conventions fully garbed up and try to see how long he can get away with being in costume before getting called out for being Adam Savage. And, uh, and in yep. particular, uh, the two Star Wars ones that I've seen that are so great are his Chewbacca costume, which comes correct with the Empire Strikes Back era netting on the back, holding C-3PO. the parts of C-3PO, yep. which are fucking animated. So the yes. head turns and talks and... and and moves and and he's got a voice changer in there doing the Chewbacca voice and I think he was in that one for about fifteen minutes before he got called out and I'm not sure yeah. what gave it away it might have been the camera crew following him around but uh, but in particular he did the he did the the Kylo Ren too and I was sitting there watching him do the Kylo Ren and there's so many layers and not yes. lightweight layers heavy layers yes and you, that just looks like pro- a fucking chore yeah it's it. I'm not kidding when I say it's probably it's probably 35 to 40 pounds of of fabric and Jeez. leather uh, and helmet <laughs> and and it's just like it you know and and for mine like I'm I'm not quite built like Adam Driver I mean the guy that guy's he's big like he's big in his shoulders Swallow. yeah Ben Swallow <laughs> and so uh, so mine's actually mine's padded out in the biceps and the che- upper chest and stuff so I can get that real like close physique to him. Um, and so what I, what I think is hilarious is, you know, I'll 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 pull my tote, my tub of all my Kylo Ren stuff in, like go into the green room. Nobody will bother you at that point. I'll get I'll, I'll get dressed, come out as Kylo Ren and people, you know, will 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 go crazy and then you go back in change and come out and they have no idea that you're that same character because you're taller because of the boots you're filled out because of the costume like it just it, you really it, it's really an opportunity to be become somebody different well, speaking and, of taller because of the boots one of the most i mean everything that i've seen you do just blows me out of the water but oh boy uh, your chewbacca costume is yeah. 
you know, no pun intended, out of this world. And I just, I, I, I saw you putting that together. And I just thought, I mean, not only does it look exactly like the costume that Peter Mayhew wore in the movie, but you've got like some stilts built into the legs to give you that extra, like, you know, yep. that, that Wookiee stretch. And I just, you know, I, I can't even imagine, like I've worn quite a bit of complicated costumes for things I've done, but nothing on, on the level of that. So, you know, walking around a con wearing like Chewbacca stilts, wearing probably, you know, 50, 60 pounds of, of heavy fur, I, you know, is, is, is that your problem? Well, I guess I'm well, that and, and being harangued every two minutes by fans right. wanting pictures, like right. That, that's that costume is probably the like it's probably the most complicated. It's the it's weird. It's it's like the simplest costume in concept because all you're doing is putting on fur pants and a fur <laughs> shirt and a and a headpiece, you know, but. But yeah, you're walking. For me, I'm six two. I'm walking in twelve inch stilts because uh, Peter's seven four. Jesus so it's Christ. it's painter painter stilts. But then there's feet. I mean the Chewbacca toes and fur and everything built yeah. into them. Um, I have a full uh, r I have a full rig that I've created in in the chest. Uh, that's a couple of like um, pretty high volume um, Bluetooth speakers that that. Uh, that play actual sounds from the, from the film. I have read switches on my uh, fingertips. And so I can like uh, pick my Chewbacca emotion. And um, you're carrying around a bowcaster on top of it. And carrying around a bowcaster. So, That's uh, so a quick, cool. a very quick, funny story about that. The first time I wore that costume was at the Minnesota science museum um, for they, they used to have a big star Wars day every February. And so uh, I got the costume. I'm like, okay, this is my goal. Uh, I'm going to wear it for this thing. First time I'm suited up and I'd walked around in my garage in the winter, like in circles in the stilts, like trying to get used to them and just make sure that it was like riding a bike. Right. And, <laughs> and so I get, I get there and Chewbacca is complicated enough that you need to have a handler because you don't need like somebody coming up and like fly tackling you, trying to give you a hug. And, and then you just tip over like a big tree. Um, and so so you always have a, a handler and one little special uh, gift that I've created for all the handlers. I made a, a patch that says I handled the Wookiee and it's like a big uh, sort of Wookiee hug looking uh, Chewbacca patch. Um, so the, all of my um, 501st and Rebel Legion mates, they, 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 uh, they love to, to jump the head of the line to handle if they don't want to actually dress up uh, because then they get the patch and they can put it on their, fun five first coat so i walk out uh with everybody you know we're dispersing into the into our areas of the science museum and i i was there uh, taking pictures you know in the entry um for maybe about a half hour and all of a sudden my vision started to narrow and i'm like uh-oh oh boy and and my my breathing was getting short and i and i looked out at my friend chris who uh who was my handler and i and i said take my bowcaster. We, we got to go. And so I started like stilt running, uh, toward, towards the, uh, elevators. And I barely got in there before, like I started to like faint. Uh, oh. and, and it was one of those, uh, one of those like learning moments for me of, you know, um, I really need to overhydrate if I'm going to be in this costume because, it, because it's so heavy, it's so hot, it's so taxing standing there in stilts trying to balance, you know, your core is always working, all that, that uh, I, 
I, I treated it as like, it's just any other costume. I'm just getting into it and I'm just going to do my thing and it'll be, it'll be fun. And all of a sudden I'm just like, Oh shit, this, like, this might get serious. And, and a bunch of little kids are going to see Chewbacca tip over and, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to be like a, a fever dream nightmare for them. Um, and so I, it, it was one of those moments for me as a, as a costumer where, where I'm like, okay, I, I can't ever let that happen again because I'm going to let people down. Um, and, and so several of my Legion friends have never let me forget it. Every time I put that costume on and probably every time I'll put it on in the future, they're like, have you had, have you had enough water? <laughs> are, are, you, are you good? So you got to yeah, suffer was, for your art. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, right. I'm, I'm glad you're still with us, Paul. It's very touching. Yes. I'm glad you didn't, <laughs> we didn't lose you on that one. No. Um, I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit because I've seen as you know, just over the course of the last couple of years, I've seen you putting up these pictures and going to cons and, and getting to interact with fans, but also getting to interact with, with, uh, you know, um, stars. Like I've seen a whole bunch of pictures of you wearing the costume of the person who you are dressed as. And I, I kind of wanted to just throw some stuff at you and, and maybe get some uh, entertaining yeah. anecdotes about like, cause one of the ones that made me laugh the most was when you brought a, uh, put on your, um, your, your number two costume and brought a trombone to meet Jonathan Frakes. I love that picture. Yeah, that one, that, that was a long time coming actually. Um, my, my wife uh, is a huge fan of Star Trek and, uh, and she's not a big fan of costuming. Uh, I, I think, I think that's like, that's, that's one of the things that's, that's always going to be interesting in, in relationships is, you know, will you find somebody that's, that's like, will, will she be my Mzadi? Will she be my counselor, Troy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I even, I even, I bought her a, a, a full, like late, late season or, or late series next generation when Deanna starts wearing the, 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 uh, the uniform. Un yeah. uniform. Yeah. Their commander uniform. Um, so my, my wife and I went to Vegas in like 2017 uh, to uh, to the big Star Trek convention there, and I know Jim, you you lived in Vegas for a while, so you're probably familiar with that huge, definitely, you know, ST STLV or whatever. Uh, I never Rio. got to go, but I always I did see folks milling around, and it was an, always a neat time to be in town. Yeah, yeah, John so we, talks about that one a lot too. So we went um, we went for the 30th anniversary of Next Generation, which is like that that was my jam as a kid. I didn't miss an episode from '86 '87 onward, and. Uh, and so we got to meet all the stars, right? Uh, uh, they had everybody there except Frakes. He, he oh. didn't show up. He was filming someplace. So I got to meet Patrick Stewart and John Delancey and Brent Spiner and LeVar Burton and like everybody, like the entire bridge crew. Uh, uh, Sans Will Wheaton because he's, you know, he doing like his own thing. Days. No. Um, and so that, that was like that started this like burning passion for, for me to like find a way to finally meet Jonathan Frakes. And so, uh, so as luck would have it this last year, um, 2019 galaxy con comes to the twin cities and Jonathan Frakes is on, on board. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to meet him. I already have like my full, um, Riker costume, the full but I'm going to, yeah, but I'm going to up the ante a little bit. And, and I actually, I played trombone in, uh, in, middle school, high school. And for some dumb reason, I still have it. I'm not a pack rat, but I still have my trombone. 
um, just like I have my first guitar I ever purchased. And so I, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to this con, I'm going to dress up as, as Riker and I'm going to bring this trombone. And, and I remember standing in line, uh, just for his table, um, and, and this was before I got a picture with him, but just standing at his, at his table and sort of the switchbacks and he sees me and he, and he, and he like gives me the, the little wink and he's just, and he, and he like says to like his, his handler, you know, given the, giving him the photos to sign. He's like, this guy knows what's up. And, and we finally get up there and I got the trombone and, uh, and I said, Hey, I just, I don't even know where to start. You're one of my, you're one of my favorite characters of all time you know, uh, and he's like, he's like, do you, do you play the trombone? I said, yeah, I played it in high school. I don't, I don't play anymore. I said, do you still play? And he's, cause he did. And he's like, yeah, I play a little bit. He's like, do you mind? And he, and I handed it to him and then he starts like playing the trombone. And it was this like incredible meta moment, uh, where, you know, some guy dressed up as Riker hands the real Riker, his trombone, <laughs> and he starts playing it. So that is fantastic. Yeah. So that was, that one was really fun. And he was like such a down to earth guy. Um, the, uh, uh, we, we sat and chatted for, you know, probably four or five minutes. Um, he's just funny and endearing and like, not, he's not pretentious at all. He's, he's far less of an actor anymore. He's more of a director. So he's, I, he's I don't doing think he's some got real good work behind the camera for Star Trek discovery, which is really fun. Yeah. They and Picard, you your heroes, but it's always great when you and do Picard. and they don't disappoint you. But in addition to um, stars, both war and wars and Trek, um, the other thing that I wanted to get to, for sure, was that um, anytime these days, whenever I see anything Back to the Future, you're the first person I think of. Um, <laughs> the, the fandom that you have of that particular property extends so far that that you are the only person I know who actually owns a DeLorean, which is very exciting. But um, yes. I remember seeing a couple of pictures of you, uh, you know, cosplaying Marty McFly and going to yeah. conventions and doing that and getting to drive the DeLorean around. And so I kind of wanted to open the floor to uh, to let you kind of talk about how how the DeLorean came into your possession, where the Back to the Future fandom comes from and where, where it's been able to take you. So so the, the Back to the Future thing goes back. It, it goes back to 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 like when I was like eight or yeah. 10 or something. Um, 85. My, one, one of the things my dad and I did when I was a kid uh, was like every once in a while, we'd go to a Sunday matinee, uh, this little theater, uh, a couple towns away. And, um, and I got to see some awesome movies as a kid, like, like movies that ultimately changed my life, seeing Ghostbusters in the theater, seeing Back to the Future in the theater, seeing Indiana Jones in the theater. So we, we, go, uh, we go to Back to the Future and um and again that 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 moment that doc brown backs it out of the truck and and you see the car the hero shot of the car for the first time just burned into my brain and i remember just talking to my parents about it like for not shutting up forever like like is that a in, real car like, did they just make like it when movie it, or? yeah when i when i turned 16 saying, Hey, I want to buy a DeLorean. And my parents just laughing at me like, what? No, you're not. And so it wasn't until I turned 30, uh, and that, that one of my buddies, uh, in the, here in the twin cities, my bass player, actually, his name was Steve. Um, he, he's like, Hey, I was just out at this, this, uh, this collector car place in, 
Watertown, Minnesota, kind of a, a western suburb of the Twin Cities. Um, and I saw a DeLorean sitting there. Mm. I'm like, huh? And so that started, I don't know, it was maybe a six-month process of me going out and visiting the DeLorean and looking at it, sitting in it, trying <laughs> to figure out like, yeah, do I, yeah, just, you know, thinking about it all the time. And I, and I had been thinking about like, I was saving up some money to get a, a new car because my, the car I had was terrible. And, um, and so I made the, uh, amazingly smart decision to say, you know, screw getting a new car. I'll just, I'll deal with this POS that I'm driving around. Uh, I'm going to buy a DeLorean. Uh, and, and so I haggled with the guy for a long time. He wanted a lot more than it was than, than I thought it was worth. And I did my research. Uh, I mean, much, much like we've talked about the costumes I build, I, I, I did a ton of research on the car and I talked to a lot of owners through chat forums and whatever, and, and figured out what it was roughly worth. Um, what it had going for it was that it had sat for 20 years and it had 9,000 miles on it. And uh -huh. so I was, it, it was, you know, pun intended in a time capsule. Um, it had the original Goodyear NCT tires on it. Uh, n nothing had been touched on it. It was basically the same car that somebody bought off, off the showroom floor in 1981. Uh, it changed hands once in the eighties. And then the, the second guy that bought it stuffed it away, uh, never drove it for 20 years. And so, um, I got it and, uh, well, I, I, I made the guy an offer and he's like, yeah, he's not going to, that's not going to go. And he, he goes, um, you know, may, maybe on a rainy day, he'll, he'll change his mind. And he calls me like a month later on a rainy day, and he changed <laughs> his mind. He, he's going to sell it. So I got it. I, I'm not a, um, afraid to say I got it for about $15,000. Um, that's so bad. it wasn't, it's not bad at it all. wasn't, it wasn't super expensive. It didn't break the bank at all, but the next six months did almost because, uh, as I learned, uh, that I didn't know, um, a car that has been sitting for 20 years, uh, has been breeding gremlins, uh, for 20 years. And so mm. I ultimately ended up replacing the entire engine. I hatched the entire engine out of it, uh, because the block had started to rot in that time. Um, so fortunately, uh, with, with DeLorean, um, we that that could be DeLorean could be an entire additional podcast. We don't we I won't go further there, but they still have an existing like original parts. And so I I was able to track down an original engine um, through one of the DeLorean franchisees in 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 the country. And uh, and so I got a new engine in it. And now um, I've had it for probably 12 or 13 years. I put about a thousand miles a year on it. It's just under uh, 20,000 miles right now. Um, so it's, it's, it always breaks my it, heart a little bit when I see the post that you put up where it's like, yep, gotta, gotta get the DeLorean out of the, put it in the garage. For, <laughs> for, Cause I mean, Minnesota, despite the fact that it's a stainless steel car, not likely to rust, um, you still, Minnesota has pretty harsh winters. I know I lived there yeah. for six years, but you don't, that's not a car you want to drive, uh, on Minnesota roads when there's salt and snow happening. No, it, and it's, and, and despite the fact that it's stainless steel on the outside, the frame is not, Ooh, yeah. uh, and, and they, they tried to do, it was kind of a gimmick in, in the day they dipped the frame in epoxy. And so they tried to coat the frame and make it rust proof. 
Um, but 40 years of frame flex yeah. has created cracks in, in everybody's frame. Nobody's frame is perfect. And so the salt, if you drove it in the winter, the salt would get inside it and rot it out from the inside out. So, um, so I try to keep it as far away from salty roads, even to the point where I'll let it rain uh, two, three times real solidly before I'll get it out in the spring. Um, I've driven it in the winter one time when we moved into the house I live in now. I had to drive it in like November, December uh, on icy, snowy roads. And I was like white knuckling it the whole time because it's a rear engine uh-huh. and, and the rear end of it is really squirrely when it's, when it's slippery out. I'd rather have dry pavement, pavement for that car, for sure. Well, otherwise, how are you going to get up to 88 with that if you don't have dry pavement? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's, the, that's the, the best thing about the DeLorean is um, you, you try to go 88 in it like maybe once or twice just to see what happens, you know, as like, a, like just a total fan. Uh, and it gets it gets a little bit nerve wracking going that fast in a well because it's year old car. so heavy and so <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I've always kind of wanted a DeLorean too. I'm not gonna lie. I've never even I've never even seen one in person. But like if I had to rank my my top three uh, movie vehicles, I think you're probably gonna jive with me on all three of these, given what we've talking about today. But it would be uh, probably the '89 Batmobile. Mm-hmm. Would be uh, Ecto one, yep. and it would and it would be the DeLorean, uh, but yep. followed closely by Kit. But you know, that's I was I was going to say the the <laughs> the more reasonable one that if I had an extra garage stall that I might have built out, it would be uh, Kit. It would be finding an eighty four Trans Am, eighty five, whatever whatever year that was. Yeah. Um, the Miller Meteor, uh, the Ecto one. That's it's like a it's like a thirty foot car. Uh, bu- oh, building yeah, a, a Batmobile, like I mean, you need a pole barn to build some of these cars. <laughs> um, the DeLorean is is like the it's like the perfect fan car, instantly recognizable. I, yeah, and and I found that like even a stock DeLorean, people people they see what they 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 see the Back to the Future car, despite the fact none of the stuff is hanging off the side of it. Right. right? But you, you still went uh, a couple of steps further than just rocking the stock DeLorean too, because I remember seeing you came up with the, uh, and I'm, I don't remember the exact name of it, but you came up with the remote control. Um, yeah. I, I have it. I have it behind me actually. Um, that's a, I, oh, I can see it. Yeah. That's a, a, a real Futaba uh, like, you know, uh, airplane uh, yeah. remote control airplane remote from the eighties. And then there's a there's a guy in uh, in California, Doc's. He calls himself Doc's Prop Shop. And so, I bought the Futaba, which they aren't cheap, only because people know what they are. Uh, right. They, you know, the the people that have them aren't like, oh, what am I going to do with this old remote? Either they're going to throw it in the garbage or give it to Goodwill, or they're going to go on eBay, and they're going to immediately see that it's the Back to the Future remote control, and they're going to know they're going they can get several hundred bucks for a you know, a non-working, uh, remote. So I sent that out to him and he, he has an incredible kit that he puts on it where you move the sticks and it counts the little clock up to 88. And it's got a bunch of buttons on the back, uh, that mimic, I mean, it's, it all screen correct, but all the buttons actually do stuff and they play sound bites and it's, it's, it's really fun. That's really neat. And what you're talking about with the, uh, the remotes being, uh, uh remarkably hard to find or very expensive. I kind of ran into that too, when I did a lot of lightsaber, uh, prop building and I've always been on the hunt for I'm still on the hunt for uh, 
uh, one of the old Graflex uh, flashes oh, yeah. used to make uh, uh, Luke's uh, A New Hope sabers. So and here's yeah. how stupid I am. I, I when I moved to LA a couple of uh, in, in 2013, and I was there for about a year. Trying to be a screenwriter, that's a whole different story. But I worked um, in uh, city of industry, um, writing marketing collateral for a manufacturing company. And because I didn't live anywhere close to where I worked in LA traffic is murder. I used to get off at four o'clock in the afternoon and in order to beat traffic. So I wasn't fighting traffic the whole way home. I used to go to see movies, um, at a nearby mall. And I would just kind of go in and see a movie and, and, you know, be a two hour delay on, on having to fight rush hour. And I am an idiot because I didn't realize until after I left Los Angeles that the mall I was going to to see movies was the Puente Hills Mall, <laughs> which of course is the the uh, Lone Pine slash Twin Pines Mall for the yes. uh, Beach series. And I didn't know that. I was a moron. I mean, and, and right around where the movie theater is in the parking lot, I kept on parking and they actually have orange lines painted on the parking lot where the original flame trails were. That's oh, seriously, that's yeah. cool. I, I, I didn't even I, know that. I thought so it was you're, bus you're... parking. I didn't know what they oh, were really? for. I didn't find out until after I left that, oh, you, you idiot, you were going to the Puente Hills Mall, a.k.a. The, the Twin Pines Mall. I didn't know. The whole time I was going to see movies there, like for a year after work, I didn't realize that's where I was. That's, that's funny. My, that's insane. My wife and I, uh, I she, she, didn't, she hated uh, this part of the trip. We went to L.A. for a, for a convention um, a couple of years ago. And the first thing I do is I start looking up like, shooting you know, what shooting locations, whatever I find the, the Dunder Mifflin office. Uh, I, I, I found, you know, Nakatomi Plaza, you know, from, mm -hmm. from Die Hard. Uh, I found Marty's house, you know, like a bunch of stuff. And so, um, I'm not afraid to, to, to rent a car and drive anywhere on the planet. And so we rented a car in LA and, and she's, you know, we're, we're trying to go to, I don't know, Griffith Observatory or something. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. just we're going to take a take a quick, you know, we're just going to go through this neighborhood. And and then I pull over and it's like, hey, there's Marty's house. Uh, let's take let's take a quick picture. And and she's just like rolling her eyes the whole time. She's like, you just you're wasting all this time. I'm like, I'm not wasting time. I'm going to see these <laughs> iconic places that I've that I've uh, that I've, you know, been watching for for years. The The one that I thought was was hilarious was the the Dunder Mifflin office from the office is just like a, you know, it's, it's just an office building uh, for a production company and, you know, and they just use that exterior. And I think they even use the interior to build the, they build the office uh, out inside it. So, you know, most of them you just drive by, but. Um, Some but of them just catch your eye. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Well, we're going to take a real quick break and we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, prop building and cosplay with Paul Haggis. Stick around. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We're talking cosplay and prop building with Paul Haga. Now, Paul, we were talking a little bit off uh, off mic about uh, some of the roles that you've played. And of course, we've talked about uh, your Back to the Future cosplay. We've talked about uh, Kylo Ren and, and Chewbacca and, and, and the judge. I want I don't want to say Judge Dredd. You weren't Judge Dredd. You were Judge Hoggis. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, can you kind of give us a rundown of uh, some of the other uh, cosplay uh, designs that you've uh, built and, and the other things that you've done? Yeah. Um, a, a couple of my favorites. 
um, last year I did. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for, for stuff that people haven't done. Uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, there's, you know, a movie will come out and there's a lot, uh, a lot of uh, folks will, will do, you know, Furiosa from Mad Max, sure. uh, uh, stuff like where it's just, there's a, you go to a, I imagine the, the next Star Wars celebration convention, you're going to see 4,000 uh, Din Djarin Mandos walking oh. around, you know, oh, for sure. Um, it, and, uh, and, and a thousand Cara Dunes and, you know, like. And how many so, children dressed as little Grogu? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so one of my things I'm always trying to figure out is, okay, well, you know, what, what haven't people done? Um, and, and a couple of years ago, uh, I latched on to um, Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier. And that's one uh, of my favorite ones that you've ever done. I got to say that. Yeah. And it's, and it was, um, you know, I found, I found a guy that, uh, that like built uh, a, uh, the, the, the molds for uh, the arm. And so I, I, I worked with him. I got a uh, casting of the, of the arm. I worked with a guy locally to get it, uh, to get it chromed. Um, I, I, I tracked down and we can talk about this in, in, uh, when we, when we, uh, talk about my, my shop in the future, but, um, I tracked down all the, all the, the found props that he, uh, that he wears in the movie, all the different knives, uh, that he's wearing, uh, and made castings of all of them. Uh, you know, so it's like just basically building out the costume because he's like this, you know, Hydra assassin. Uh, and, uh, and so that, that one was uh, incredibly fun. And, and when you put it on, like there's, there's this sense of fear in people because <laughs> you're this, you know, this assassin with the smoked out eyes uh, and the mask on. Um, so that one, I, I love wearing that one. Um, Another one of my favorites is the shadow. Uh, and my experience with the shadow, uh, was, was as a kid, my dad somehow had like a, a, a little cassette tape set of the radio serials, uh, that I got into with my Fisher price tape player. And I started <laughs> listening to Lamont Cranston and, you know, the Ovaltine, uh, special commercials and stuff. Um, and then in 1994, and I know there's a lot of people that didn't like that movie but uh i think i, I was just i think i was right in the right age wheelhouse that i thought it was really super cool uh the alec baldwin shadow movie and the costume is so iconic he, he's like a gunslinger uh mixed with you know like sort of a, a cosmopolitan detective yeah yeah so so that one's that one's super fun uh last year this one was really simple, but, uh, but it, it had, um, some, uh, some pretty cool reactions. I, I can't say that I'm a, a lifelong M night Shyamalan fan. Uh, there's a few of his movies that I really enjoy. Uh, one of them being unbreakable. And I, I thought unbreakable was just this like riveting superhero, like it, so anti-superhero, uh, but it was this, this origin story. Um, and, and so I'm like, you know, I, I've always wanted to just build the security poncho that David Dunn wears. Uh, and so I found as close as I could get to the screen accurate uh, style of, of poncho that he wore. And, uh, and one of my buddies has a, uh, has a cricket or like one of the, the um, 
uh, like sticker cutters, uh, uh, stylus cutters, whatever they're called. And I, and I modeled the, uh, the, the typeface and I had him cut it out. And I basically, I had him build me a stencil and I spray painted security on the back and FSU on the front. Uh, and that was, that costume was incredibly simple. It was like, you know, a khaki hat, some work boots and a green poncho. And all I did was walk into the convention and just stand there like this. Uh, and, and people, people knew exactly what was going on. Uh, and I had people come up like this is the greatest I've ever seen. So, uh, so those, those were some of the, the ones that, that I've had a lot of fun with. Uh, another one that I've done is dark man, uh, Liam Neeson, dark man, Sam Raimi, oh, dark man. Loved it. Um, classic. I had that a one, laser disc. It's how weird I am about that movie. Yeah. Fuck your old. Not, yeah, not, a, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> Not a lot of people. I've never seen a dark man done, um, but it's like you know, just I found this like really like mothballed uh, Australian oilskin coat, you know, like a like a outback coat uh, that he wore. I found a dusty old fedora uh, on eBay. It was a it was a cobbled together costume. I think I went to Goodwill for the rest of it, like his sort of burgundy shirt, and then. I got a white balaclava, put it on my head and started like taping, you know, the bandages around my head. And I, I took it off. Like I, I essentially glued them on. I took the whole thing off, like put it on a, on a mannequin bust and like detailed it, like all sort of muddy and gunky and all the, like the weathering that goes along with that. So now I just, it's a mask that I can put on. Um, so those are, those are the, the ones that, that I've kind of created in the background, uh, you know, alongside some of these uh, like 501st uh, costumes that I'm constantly working on. And, um, and then my, my, co my costume I'm looking for uh, or look, looking forward to building in 2021 is my Rocketeer. Uh, that, that one's been a 30 year uh, obsession. No, I alluded yeah. to that one earlier when I was saying that in most cases, you're not working with, um, with props that have been stolen from production houses, but, I was going to ask you about that because I remember seeing not too long ago, you put the picture up about the actual jetpack, And that's a really fun story that I'd love to hear you tell. Yeah. Uh, so the, the thing that I, I love about Facebook specifically is you get all these little, all these little like subgroups and forums uh, that build out for fandom, various fandoms. And so there's a few different um, Rocketeer fandoms uh, one of them's called like the fin heads of something. Uh, and so I just, I, I dropped into a couple of these groups and, and started, you know, talking to people, meeting with people and, and, and seeing how they were building their costumes. And I stumbled across this, uh, this guy who's a Hollywood uh, prop master. His name's Dan. And, um, and he had put up a picture of this just immaculate uh casting of of the rocket pack from rocketeer and and so i i messaged him and i started asking him like the story uh and he ended up he ended up just saying uh hey here's my phone number i'll you know why don't you give me a call and so we start chatting on the phone he he knew uh he knew the guy that was the original prop master from the rocketeer and he was over at his house like having beers with him uh one sunday afternoon and he and he he saw a rocket pack hanging on the side of his garage, and 
And he's like, so what's what's the story there? He's like, oh, that's one of the stunt packs from from the Rocketeer. And Dan's like, what? He's like, how did you get it? And he's like, well, they're just throwing stuff away. And um, I thought it was cool. I, I wanted to keep it. You know, they sent a few of them to Disney, you know, to put in like there's a couple of them like sprinkled around the Disney parks and stuff. Um, but, you know, one of them, I think, you know, went into private hands or got sold into private hands. Um, uh, and then he had this stunt pack. And and so Dan's talking to him, he's, you know, telling him he's a huge fan. And he, he's like, would you ever let me like take some measurements from it? And, and you know, I, I, I want to build a pack. He's like, just take it. Uh, you know, you, you know, do, <laughs> do whatever you want with it. Just bring it back. Don't break it. Don't, don't keep it. But so Dan brought it home and, and did all the, he, I think he originally intended to like met, just do measurements and stuff on it. But ultimately what he did is he, he cast it, uh, he, he cast it and then created molds for it. And, um, and once he created molds to build himself one, like a lot of prop builders do, they offer uh, the opportunity to other people that are interested uh, to do, you know, in a, doing a run or something like that. And so um, he was selling castings uh, from this screen lineage pack. Uh, and it's, I've had the, I've had the, the, the cast pack for a couple years, maybe three, and it's just sitting in a box, like waiting. Uh, and, and I just haven't had the opportunity to, to, to do it, but, I'm committing that this next year is going to be the year that I do it. And I have, you, you already commented, uh, saying the, uh, I have, uh, a master replicas metal rocketeer helmet, um, yeah, that, that I was able to find. That's such a fun and, and, and unique costume. And it's so instantly recognizable. Even if you haven't seen, like we were talking about the rocketeer when we were talking, um, offline, uh, a few, like a week ago. And, uh, I hadn't seen it for fuck, forever. And so I sat my entire family down and watched it. And, and I just, I, it was like, I was a kid again. I just was able to yep. marvel over the whole thing. And it's such a unique and it wonderful really design. And, and yeah, I couldn't find any, uh, Timothy Dalton is such a beautiful villain in that movie, which is great. And spoiler alert for a, what is it? 35 year old movie or whatever it is. But um, <laughs> and it's, it's on Disney as much as we don't oh. want to, you know, she, she was such a, uh, she was such a bombshell in that movie. She embodied that whole, classic yeah. like um almost jane russell 40s aesthetic and it was just so perfect yep now and, i do have to ask real quick before we get off the subject of your jetpack yeah. does it have the bullet hole no I, I have to put it in okay. uh, I, I i i and i'm debating whether or not i want to do that or if, if i just want to like cover it up with some uh some putty that would simulate like the beam the gum. Gum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you yeah. don't um, want to drill into the delorean but you know you almost kind of have to drill into the uh the rocket yeah and, for screen and and you've seen, you know, I know that we were, we were uh, talking about like the Ghostbusters overheating uh, stuff that, that I've just, I, I felt like upping the ante a little bit on those, those couple of props. I have a similar uh, rig that I'm working on for, um, for the, uh, the rocket pack where, you know, the, the two thumb buttons would actually actuate some, um, it's interesting. It, we, the, the technology didn't really exist until e-cigs became a thing. Um, but, but that's, that's what, that's what people are using. It's, vape smoke. It's a, yeah. It's basically vape smoke and the, and the vape smoke that comes out of the trap uh, and the, the pack that's sitting behind me, 
uh, is toasted marshmallow scent, uh, which, which I think makes the... Uh, That's incredibly appropriate. Yes. That's amazing. So, uh, so I, have, um, I have a whole big box of parts and uh, aquarium pumps and tubing and 12-volt uh, power sources. And, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm going to get it to the point where at least it'll blow some smoke out of the two engines uh, when, when I hit my my thumb buttons uh in, at a convention so, so the Good. rocketeer is the big build for next year um uh, that's going to probably take up a lot of time but um just going forward like what is the one costume that's either been kind of like really ambitious or that you've wanted to build or that's something that you kind of have been backburnering the um, spruce goose of your collection yeah, yeah. The, 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 the big holy grail that you're that you keep on thinking i'm going to get to that like the, the big build what's what's coming up after the rocketeer the, the Rocketeer might the Rocketeer might be that that big build that I've been putting off for I've been putting it off for a long time. Um, it I have a few other things that 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 I that I want to do and that I have kits of like I have an original Stormtrooper uh, that's about half built. I have a first order Stormtrooper that's about half built. Um, I. I I'm a little embarrassed to say I, they, they looked really good in pre in the previews. Uh, and I, I may have bought a Praetorian guard kit from, uh, from the last Jedi, uh, the night, uh, version with sort of the night, uh, face plate. Uh, that's all sitting in a box. Other than the rocket like saber hole right in the middle of that. I know. I know. <laughs> that was my favorite part of that movie when he just kind of ran over his shoulder and it, it was so, it was so random and, uh, uh, and perfect for, for what a lightsaber could do in, mm -hmm. in the heat of battle that nobody had ever done with it before. I, oh, yeah. I, I love that part. Uh, the, the one star Wars build that's, that's sitting in a box and it's sat in a box since the force awakens, um, came out is captain phasma. I've, I've, I've long wanted to build her costume so shiny. and it would so be shiny. And it would be technically a gender bend costume for me because yeah. you know it's Gwendolyn Christie. Um, but you don't I look just, a thing I, like Gwendolyn Christie. No, I don't. Uh, maybe <laughs> height. Maybe I, and she's. I think she's. I think she's like six. She's like six, six five, six six, six eight. Um, oh, but but I, I just I fell in love with that costume when the when the previews came out and the, a little history of it. That was originally going to be Kylo Ren. Um, that was the the first pass at Kylo Ren's costume. Oh, interesting. And and J.J. Abrams said, you know, I love it. Uh, I think we should use it in another way. But Kylo Ren is going to be more like a Vader disciple, and so he needs to be darker. We need to we need to figure out something different. And 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 then he loved the costume so much that that he decided to create a side character in Captain Phasma, and he named her after the movie Phantasm. That's the little spheres of uh, Angus of Grimm death. Uh, so, so that one I've eventually will build. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's sitting in a tote in my garage next to the DeLorean. I have like three big, you know, those huge like target sterilite totes. Well, it's not like up. you haven't been busy. Cause before, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here, I definitely want to um, plug your Etsy store. Cause one of the reasons why I thought about, asking you if you wanted to, to come and talk with us was because 
whenever we're doing stuff around the internet, we always use the hashtag fuel your fandom. And, it, you know, I looked at the, uh, the proton pack build when you added the spoke to it and you use the, the hashtag crafter fandom, because I mean, you don't just yep. make your own costumes, you make components of costumes um, for other people. And you have an Etsy store that's at PH props and um, you yep. craft really excellent um, 501st approved movie quality components of primarily Star Wars stuff, but I wanted to kind of just, yep. you know, wind you up and get you talking about that because I sure. always found that kind of thing really fascinating and you do it better than anybody I've ever seen. Oh, thank you. Um, that That's become um, this like crazy labor of love for me. Um, it actually, it just, just to circle back to what we were talking about with Dread, uh, yeah. building the Dread costume, I bought a 3D printer to specifically build um, some of the dread belt gear components. And, and so as my friend Derek and I were building out those costumes, I, I had like 3d modeled and built out these, uh, these pieces, the little grenades and what have you. And um, I was showing them off in one of the dread uh, costuming groups. And a couple of the other guys were like, Hey, would you ever consider selling these? And I, like, I hadn't really thought of it at that point. And, and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I would. And so I'm, I'm starting, you know, I, I started thinking more about it and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll make a few sets, make a couple of bucks. Uh, at that point, like the band was winding down. So I didn't have, I used to play on the weekends in a, in a cover band. I didn't have the cover band money coming in. Um, and so I decided like that I would supplement my income with doing these dread parts and, uh, and I'd make a few hundred bucks a month uh, doing that. And it, and it was helping me buy pieces of the costume, which, you know, uh, was not making my wife angry at me <laughs> draining the checkbook. So, uh, so I, around, around that time, um, the trailer for, uh, for the force awakens came out and you'll, you'll, in my history, you'll find a lot of, uh, dread and Kylo as like these, these start points for me. And so when I started working on my Kylo Ren costume, a very similar thing happened where I was showing off the belt that I had made uh, to, to a group of guys. In, it's such a specific piece of the costume. Yeah. And, and I mean, I went, I went to a local leather shop. You know, I, I, I grabbed a huge hide of leather. I, I figured out how to cut it, you know, straight on, on my garage floor. And I think back to like those days and I'm like, oh man, you 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 poor you poor boy uh all all the all the work extra work you were doing so i built i built this belt and i was showing it off and and there was nobody in the space doing them at the time and, and I, I didn't even really know i didn't it wasn't something that registered for me and so a bunch of guys are like hey would you build a belt for me and i'm like sure and and so I, at that point I had kind of created this Etsy shop with a couple of dread things in it. And so I put this belt in there and I'm like, you know, I'll just put 10, uh, the quantity, quantity available 10 within a day, all 10 were sold out. And I'm like, Oh God, what have I done? I'm on uh, the 10 more, 10 yeah. more. No, no, I was more afraid. Like I'm never, it took me like five hours to build my first prototype. And, and I'm like, if I build 10 of these, I'm going to have to like, where am I going to find the time? I so, created a monster. Yeah. And it, what, what was interesting is that Kylo Ren, uh, they call it the Knights of Ren Forum uh, on mm -hmm. Facebook, had about 400 people in it. 
and today it's about 9,000, uh, 9,500. <laughs> and so, so that, that was like my, um, my first, uh, foray into star Wars prop building, which has unlocked this like vast landscape of opportunity. And, um, and so I started with Kylo Ren. I started making these belts. I refined my process. Uh, I started working with this leather company, getting, uh, getting the, the leather already pre-cut, you know, and ready to go. Uh, and then people started coming to me and saying, hey, can you make me um, Obi-Wan Kenobi's belt? Can you make me Anakin Skywalker's belt? Can you, you know, I, so I, I turned into this belt guy. Uh, <laughs> and and before making that first Kylo Ren belt, I had never worked with leather in my entire life. But now everybody knows me as this like leather guy uh, making these belts. And, and so my, my prop shop, my, my shop has grown into, I don't know, I think I have maybe 30 different items now. I'm doing like, you know, uh, pilot web belts from, uh, for X-Wing pilots. I'm doing um, like highly detailed uh, belts from even like, the obscure uh, Star Wars movies like Solo, uh, uh, Dryden Voss, uh, the the big bad from Solo. I did his belt for a, a friend of mine in the UK. It turned out beautifully, and I've not done one one more of them just because it's such a it's a character nobody wants to be, I guess. But um, but typically, I'm doing you know the the lion's share of the work I'm doing is uh, is Kylo Ren stuff. Um, his his belt and then the neck, the neck that he wears yeah uh i've i've built hundreds i i'm I, I shouldn't tell you how many of them i've built over the years um but it's helped to it's helped from it's helped me fuel my passion in building costumes like and i'm also to fund i'm sure the costumes you're building for it, that yeah that's my point it's it's recycling that money it, right back into your own builds Yes. Uh, so I'm, ta I'm, I, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day that, that whenever I think of, um, a new costume, I think of it in terms of neck seals, like how many neck seals would I have to build in order to, to, to like pay for this? So yeah. that, the, uh, the amount of those you've cranked out, like I've seen, you know, you posted pictures on Facebook, you say, yeah, another batch of Kylo neck seals ready to go. And there's like three or four dozen of them in one you know single run that you would do it. It's just the, the yeah. amount of, time and effort and materials that you put into those things is just i mean it's admirable it really is to see you dedicate yourself that much to it and bring that much quality to a community that you know i mean it really is it's 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 really paying it forward again because like you said you you sourced like the um the, the dread uh chest plates from you know or the the batman cowl from people in different places yep so to yep. carve out your own niche and say that these this is the the, the components these are the things that i can contribute back to the community and it benefits right. everybody who's a cosplayer and it helps me to, you know, continue to fuel what I'm doing with my own costumes. It's just, it's a really nice reciprocal sort of thing where, you know, it's, it's just an Ouroboros of, of continued fandom where you're all sort of helping each other out. And I think that's, that's, it's beautiful in its own way. It really is. Yeah. It really and, is rather neat. And what's interesting, uh, kind of my, my, my final thought on that, and I, I know this won't be lost on two mu musicians, <laughs> you know, you, you, as a musician, you always dream of getting to that point where it's like somebody will recognize my song, somebody will rec maybe recognize me, um, you know, 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 know me for what I'm, for, for, for what I do. And, yeah. uh, and I had this really weird aha moment uh, at one of the, um, 
uh, Star Wars celebrations. Uh, it was in Chicago in 2019. And, and I had like people coming up to me, like wearing Kylo Ren costumes, like giving me hugs saying, I'm so glad that, that I get to meet you in, in person and, and stuff like that. And it's like, like, that's such a good feeling that, that you're like the thing that you made, you know, it's a piece of leather, but the thing that you made is, is so integral to them and their costume and, and making them embody that part, that role, uh, that character, you're quite um, literally fueling somebody else's fandom. Exactly. Which not yeah. to be not to be too fucking meta about it, but <laughs> I mean God dang, that's amazing. I so, can't even so, imagine. So I in a in this weird way, and not that I'm not that I'm I was ever seeking it, but I achieved the the celebrity status that I always wanted to be to, to have as a guitar player, oddly. <laughs> making belts making le- leather <laughs> neck gorgets sometimes um, the passion picks you and it just you know whatever you're destined to do so if right. anybody's listening who's who's uh, a cosplayer on their own and they want to kind of get you know i'm going to say it again it's ph props if you go to etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash ph props or just go to etsy and search ph props you'll be able to see paul's work and you know divorced from this audio only medium you'll be able to look and see what it is that he's building and, and just check the quality on it and you'll uh, you know, understand that that the amount of praise we've we've heaped on this dude for for doing what he does and doing it so well is is completely it's 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 still not enough for for the quality that you're putting out. Absolutely, I'm I'm making it all in my basement too. That, that's one <laughs> of the that's one of the things that people it's somehow lost on them. They they think I'm some massive like company with a warehouse and you know staff and all that stuff. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm one guy late at night sitting in front, yeah. sitting in front of a 48 inch folding table, cutting leather. But that, to me, that, that lends an extra layer of authenticity to it. Cause you're not just in it for the money. You're not someplace that, that saw a, a business niche and decided to fill it by cranking right. out stuff. You're a guy who loves right. this stuff genuinely. And you know, to be able to support you in doing that, and also to see the passion of it come through and the actual quality of the finished product. I mean, I would, I would hope that that, that would result in people come up to you at cons and hugging you and saying, my neck seal is awesome. My belt clip is amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for this component of my costume. But I couldn't right. have found anywhere else or built myself. You know, it, it's, it's got to be a great feeling. And, and I'm, I'm just glad as hell that it's happened. It could be happening to a nicer guy. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Paul, for coming onto the podcast and sharing your, uh, your joy and your passion uh for cosplay with us and uh, it's 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 fun it's just a lot of fun i'd I'd like to sit here and wax nerdy about it but i mean really it's just it's fun i mean i've i've dabbled in the cosplay community i've dabbled in prop building but never anything kind of to that degree And, and and to to see that it's not only uh, something that's so super fulfilling to you, but to see that you're also inspiring that in other people is absolutely why why we do what we do, and I'm sure why you do what right. you do. And absolutely. from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for contributing that to uh, the community at large. And uh, I just want to say my hat's off to you, man. Hey, thank you. And thanks for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom podcast. Uh, Jim, thank you again. Fantastic as always. Right back at you, my friend. But uh, we will be uh, uh, coming back here pretty shortly with uh, the season finale. Season two season finale is going to be focused on Bob's Burgers and 
the different kind of interesting things that they've come up with to uh, uh, to support that show. And 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 we got some fun things planned for that. But uh, that's coming up here towards the end of December. But in the meantime, I want to thank you all for listening again. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash feel your fandom. But uh, from Jim and I both, I want to say thank you again for listening. And I want to remind you that everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care.